This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPMLP 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with news reports from members of the community. I'm E. Marie Lambert. And I'm Kathy Brown. In the next half hour, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about high school and middle school graduation, protesters trying to stop a right-wing group from holding its convention in Philly later this month, the Juneteenth holiday, and Philadelphia's murals. First, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been putting asylum seekers on buses and sending them to sanctuary cities, including Philadelphia, since last November. So far, 20 buses have brought about 1,000 migrants to Philadelphia. City officials and other organizations in the region have been working to help people arriving in the city. Block by Block's Yannick Marie spoke to two of the people involved in those efforts. To find out more about these buses, I spoke with two of the people involved in helping migrants as they arrive in Philadelphia. Clara Herdez is a pastoral associate at St. Thomas Aquinas Community Center, which works with immigrant and multicultural communities. And Peter Pedimonti is a co-director of New Sanctuary Movement, an interfaith immigrant justice organization that works with congregations in the Philadelphia area and provides training to help people organize the fight against anti-immigration laws and policies and fight for laws that make the city and state more welcoming. Peter says after asylum seekers are released by immigrant officials in Texas, they go to an immigration center. And from there, there are announcements about buses going to different parts of the country, and they do get on. And so we usually get a 36-hour heads up, sometimes less, <laughs> about when they're coming. New Sanctuary Movement's role is to greet them at 30th Street Station. So usually it's either at like a 6 in the morning or, you know, 9.30 at night. Could you tell us from the point that they come in to what happens, like a timeline of events. It's been a long trip. I mean, moving up through Central America, going through jungles, crossing rivers, dealing with U.S. immigration and the border, and then on a 36-hour bus trip where there's not many stops and they're offered government emergency meals. And so when they get to us, one of the biggest things we do is just we want to make sure we welcome them with smiles, with love, with care. So we have coffee and snacks, juice for the kids. If it's cold, we have some sweaters for people. And often there's family reunions. So sometimes family from New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania will come in and greet them right there. We had one bus last week. It was two infants on board. Their father was there to greet them. The father had to leave before the kid was born. So it was this like very, really beautiful moment of families reuniting and a father seeing a kid for the first time. The organization partners with the Office of Emergency Management, as well as other organizations such as West Kensington Ministry and SEPTA. SEPTA buses migrants to the city's welcoming center located in the Northeast. Clara says that's where groups like hers meet with them. After they arrived to the state center, a group of volunteers and myself worked to answering questions for them. We try to get them some guidance about what is what they have to expect here in the United States. And after that, 
there is a process of connecting the people to the final destination. And those that stay work with me a little bit, finding their way into the United States, doing a screening of what they are expecting and where they were going, what the plan is to try to help them understand what the best way to accomplish those steps are. Those that really do not have any connection in the country that are here just because they did not know any place to go, we're working to try to make them Philadelphia residents and assimilate them into the city. Title 42 were laws around the pandemic that the Trump administration used to close the border. As of May 11, 2023, these laws are no longer in effect. It was predicted that the end of this era would result in an influx of migrants. What we did see after Title 42, though, was that there wasn't as many people coming as we thought. And that's because of President Biden. He decided to continue Trump's agenda and he has done things to continue to gut the asylum system. So he passed a transit ban, which means they're requiring people to apply for asylum in other countries they pass through, like Mexico, and be rejected before they can apply for asylum in, in the U.S. Citizens of specific countries, such as Haiti, who seek admittance as parolees are now required to come in at specific border sites via way of an app. And then we're hearing reports of people just being at the border, on the other side of the border for months, and all they do is sit there, try to get an appointment day after day, month after month. The process of migration is really disorganized and confusing, and people is not finding a straight, clear way to ask for help. So when that happens, they have to do what they need to do to survive. Even if it's putting their life at risk, they have to do it because they are looking for a better way of living. Once they come here, the parole system is confusing. The work permits are not given to some, but to others are. What can the general public do to help? Uh, there is a registry at Walmart and Amazon where people can purchase things like, like right now we're getting a lot of babies and kids. So like infant clothes, shoes and underwear, you know, I think financial donations to organizations is always helpful. And I think also reaching out to legislators and the Biden administration to um, stop gutting the asylum system. I agree. I think advocate is really important for a fair migration system and donations in kind. Thank you so much for taking the time out to have this conversation with me today. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. The 17th annual Philadelphia Juneteenth Festival takes place this Saturday on the 6300 block of Germantown Avenue. The all-day street festival will feature food, fashion, and entertainment celebrating the black community, as well as programming commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. The festival is hosted by Johnson House Historic Site in Germantown and was a stop on the Underground Railroad and is now a museum and center for advocacy. I spoke with Johnson House Director Cornelia Swinson to find out more about this weekend's festival. 
We open up early in the morning. At 10 a.m., we're going to have Sankofa Healing Studio. And what they're going to do is they want it to serve as an inspiration to launch Juneteenth Celebration. So it's designed with community healing in mind. And attendees are invited on a journey of liberation, deep connection with oneself and energy with the community and Johnson House. And through the healing power of a sound bath, it immerses guests in soothing sounds that aim to unlock inner peace, freedom, and deep healing, and its meditation aligning with spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical aspects of our being guided by Sankofa Healing Studio. So that's in the morning at 10 a.m., free. All day, we have our resource information. You can find information about culture, history, and you can purchase and buy and engage. From 12 to 7, uh, the Philly Goat Project is going to be here in the Kids Village. We're going to have face painting, science activities, books, scepter bus, quilting, bubbling, and much, much more. And then a Sankofa Charter School, African dancers, are going to be a part of the day. And Mayor Kenny will kick off the festival with Sisters Laying Down Hands, their drummers, libations pouring, and then the 3rd Regiment U.S. Colored Troops will read General Order Number 3, which talks about learning that we now have our freedom. And then once Mayor Kenny gives his welcome after that kickoff, we have the school, young people, dancers, their drummers, and their dancers. And then we have our activity on the stage, and that's music, that's jazz, gospel, vocal, neo-soul, folk art, artist music. The Philadelphia Cleft Club with their young people, they're going to be performing. We have a ballerina who is invited to do a residential in Washington, D.C. She's 13 years old. She's going to do a ballet on stage with Miss Pennsylvania, who happens to be African-American. That is going to be moving. And then we have a gospel jazz band. And then based on our Center for Social Advocacy, we have a period where we give acknowledgements to everybody that contributed. And we also honor the people that we think it's really important to honor that day and talk about why Juneteenth is so important. And that's on stage. And then we end with our headliner, which is Philly Destiny Band. That's our headliner that night. But while this is all going on, there's other parts of the festival that are really moving parts as well. We have a panel workshop called Making a Will to Preserve Wealth in Black and Brown Communities. And in that, we will have a will clinic. Registrar Tracy Gordon is going to be leading that clinic, and she's going to be working with an attorney who will answer any questions about the legal aspects of making a will. And then we have the Alliance of Black Social Workers who want to provide support and answer questions for anyone that's there. Because, you know, that's an emotional activity and people need support. I mean, it's been a lot. Part of the reason why people don't make a will is they're traumatized by having to make a will, but it's important that we make a will. So that's our Center for Social Advocacy panel discussion. We also have an unveiling of the first ever Juneteenth mural in the city of Philadelphia, right across the street at Germantown Art House. It will be the only Juneteenth mural in the city of Philadelphia. And we were selected, this business was selected out of five across the country. And we have a fashion show, looking at fashion from 1600s to the 1900s. 
And the title of it is Juneteenth Fashion Show, Freedom, Enslavement, and Freedom. It becomes a true part of what community is. All of these working parts, Uh as you call them, to put together such an amazing celebration of our culture and our lives and our history. I thank you for your dedication to it. And I'm so looking forward to this day, the restorative justice piece that's added to it and the learning of our history and our culture and our voices and in our skin um, for us, by us. We do this out of love and it's free for the entire community. And we do it in one of the most historic parts of the city of Philadelphia. That's why we do this. And that's why we say, come to Johnson House, come to Concord School, come to Clifton, all the historic sites that are up in this area, and you will experience the authenticity of what it meant, what the community looked like then and now, and understand why we need to keep doing what we're doing. And I always say, never forget our history and our culture. It's really important, and it keeps our community going. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Kathy. Moms for Liberty plans to hold a national summit in Philadelphia later this month. The group is a conservative parents' rights organization that the Southern Poverty Law Center recently designated as an extremist group. Among other things, Moms for Liberty opposes letting school teachers talk about race and LGBTQ rights. Speakers at the summit in, summit in Philadelphia are expected to include Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. Philadelphia area civil rights groups are trying to stop the event from happening. They've been holding weekly protests at two locations scheduled to host Moms for Liberty events. Block by Block's Robin Markle attended one of those protests earlier this month and brings us this story. Moms for Liberty, sometimes abbreviated as M4L, is a far-right, Christian nationalist extremist organization trying to change what's taught in public schools. Among other things, the group wants to ban books that they consider inappropriate from school libraries. That includes books that acknowledge racism or LGBTQ people. Jamie Tromba is a leader of a local M4L chapter in Bucks County. Earlier this year, on an episode of the Face the Culture podcast, Jamie insinuated that books that show acceptance of LGBTQ lives indoctrinate and groom children for inappropriate sexual activity. She even compared it with accepting pedophilia. These books and things that we're seeing, I mean, it's grooming. It's nothing more than grooming. You know, a couple decades ago, when we had conversations about slippery slopes of opening up the doors, and everybody said, oh, it'll never get there. They're now making it where pedophilia is okay. That's what they're doing. They're trying to make it like pedophilia is okay. Moms for Liberty grew out of opposition to COVID-19-related public health regulations in schools. Since 2021, the group has run dozens of successful campaigns to elect their members to school boards around the U.S. They have chapters in 15 Pennsylvania counties, including those adjacent to Philly, Bucks, Delaware, and Montgomery. In addition to challenging books, 
Moms for Liberty opposes diversity, equity, and inclusion programming and pushes for anti-LGBTQ policies that exclude transgender students from using a bathroom or playing on a sports team that aligns with their gender. Moms for Liberty scheduled the majority of their 2023 National Summit at the Center City Marriott Hotel with a reception at the Museum of the American Revolution. Activists are demanding Marriott and the museum cancel M4L's reservations. Colin is a young person I met protesting outside the Marriott. He told me why he opposes the summit. Moms for Liberty is a right-wing group that has been taking over school boards, pushing to ban educational books about this country's history. And I'm a part of a community here in Philadelphia, a gay community, a radical community that is trying to tell them you're not welcome. And we just need to like show them that there are more of us and that you will not get rid of us. We will be here always. A speaker from the Young Communist League pointed out the hypocrisy of Marriott hosting Moms for Liberty while claiming to support marginalized communities. Because Marriott has an entire section on their website that's dedicated to LGBTQ and black travel. Yet they invite openly fascist groups like Moms for Liberty to host a week-long summit in their establishment. In response to Moms for Liberty's attempts to control school materials and curriculum, high school senior Noble spoke about his experiences going to schools that did not provide information about gender and sexuality. Before I came to Philly, I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's so conservative. I was not taught about what being gay was. I was not allowed to even think about being gay. Well, guess what? I'm still gay. There will always be gay people. There will always be trans people. Because even if they're not taught that they can be gay, or even if they're not taught that they can be trans, they're going to know who they are. Noble is part of ACT UP Philadelphia, one of the lead groups organizing against the Moms for Liberty Summit, happening June 29th to July 2nd. The next protest is Friday, June 16th at 5 p.m. outside the Museum of the American Revolution. You can find more information about their organizing on their Instagram account at ActUpPhiladelphia. There are thousands of murals decorating the sides of buildings in Philadelphia. Many come from a collaboration between artists and communities thanks to an organization called Mural Arts Philadelphia. But the city is also known for its unofficial street art, or graffiti. Block by Block reporter Laura Rosenbach spoke with Conrad Binner to find out more about Philadelphia's murals and street art, and how public art can inspire communities. Binner is the founder of Streets Department, a blog that looks at public art and its impact on Philadelphia. Streets Department began as a fan blog Conrad created to photograph murals he saw around the city. I was just really excited to share what I found with my camera walking on the city. Streets Department uses social media and photography to showcase various murals. They also have a podcast which profiles artists on the scene currently, a magazine, and scheduled tours to various murals and art of note in Philly. All those things are either happening at once or, you know, one 
pistons going faster than another. It just depends on the time of year. Philadelphia is known as the mural capital of the world. We have something close to 5,000 murals across the city, over 1,100 works of public art. We have this huge culture of art in the public space here in the city that Streets Department explores in many different ways. What is a mural and how is it different from like any other form of street art? The strictest difference between murals and street art would be one has permission and one doesn't. So with murals, you're having permission to go onto the wall. Usually there's funding involved. Usually there's an artist selection process. Oftentimes there's community involvement in what the mural is going to be, community involvement in painting the mural oftentimes, and then community involvement when the mural is dedicated and launched. And then on the street art side, it's usually just an artist speaking directly to the world around them, to the community around them, to the neighborhood around them. So is the process for like getting commissioned art approved, is it complicated? What are kind of the steps that someone would go through? I have worked on projects outside of Mural Arts Philadelphia where a curator is hired, that's usually me. We hire an artist, we create a mural, and sometimes there's less community involvement, sometimes there's more. That's one way to make a mural. But I think what you're talking about is the process that Mural Arts Philadelphia does, which is much more involved. So there's a review board who reviews every mural before it goes up. Oftentimes there's a few levels of feedback between the review board and the artist. Depending on the scale of the mural and its budget, there will also be members of the community on that board and or it will go to the city. But before it even makes it to that point of being reviewed internally at Mural Arts, usually the concept of the piece is created in collaboration with community, but uh, usually involves other nonprofit partners, partners in the neighborhood, you know, small businesses, nonprofits or community members, community groups. They all kind of get together, have many conversations, create the idea together and then put it up. Once a mural's up in your neighborhood, chances are it's going to be there for a while. So you wanted to kind of say something. Usually when I see graffiti and it's just random graffiti anywhere in the city, like an abandoned building, I don't really think of the city inviting that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it's not always, certainly, but I think there's a general code amongst folks who create in non-commissioned ways in the public space and abandoned buildings are usually on limits, construction materials. And we live in a city where there's a lot of them, you know. In what ways can murals positively impact a community? I think art is a really important part of our lives. It's how we express ourselves. It's how we tap into different emotions. You know, art is everywhere. Art is so important. And so it it only makes sense that it be a part of our public space. Conrad said that emotions are a big part of murals and that it shows in the variety and diversity of murals in different neighborhoods in Philly. Most of the murals in Philly are representative of the communities around them, whether it be working with local artists or whoever the artist is working closely with the community around them. A lot of the murals that are made in Philly through the mural arts program are made through other nonprofit partnerships. The murals in our city really do tell the story of our city through the artists, through the partnerships, through the community that helps create them. It's graduation season for students throughout the region. Graduation marks the completion of one thing, but it's also often the beginning of something new. 
I asked some of the students graduating from the school where I work to share their stories. These are some of the voices from high school and middle school graduates at Mastery Charter School Pickett Campus in Germantown. I'm Kalia Snuggs, and after high school, I want to be an emergency medical technician. I'm going to school for that in June. I've already started some of the programs. I have my CPR certification, and I'm just excited to see where life takes me from here. Are you excited about graduation? Yes, I'm very excited. I, I want my kids again. I'm ready to, I know my walking off. <laughs> what has the journey to graduation looked like for you? It's been a hard journey. It was a rough journey because there's been some tears, but there's also been some good times because, whew, it's been times I didn't cry over schoolwork because it wasn't turned in on time. It, it has brought me a lot of sad times, but through all of it, it's gave me some good things because I got lifelong friends that I made out of it. I have a family that supports me. I know if anything, I can come back to the school and I have people here that support me. So it's brought me a really nice, good time. Hi, I'm Kiara Davis. Are you excited for graduation? I am very much excited. How did the pandemic affect your getting to this moment? During the pandemic, I had to do summer school twice because I feel like doing ELA over virtual is not for me. What are your plans for after school? I want to go straight into the workforce and then probably take a gap year, then go to Job Corps and get certified as a culinary chef. Okay. That's my dream career. I'm here with two other graduates. Say your name. Uh, my name is Jakam Moses. My name is Abdur. What has one of the highlights of your journey been? Earlier this year, I met the governor of both governors of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Yeah, I feel like that's something not a lot of people get to do. So it's kind of like, yeah, I like that. And what about you, Abdur? What are your plans for after high school? Uh, I'm also going into the trades. Specifically, I want to go into the insulators unit. You know, heat and frost insulators, that's with pipes and whatnot. So, navigating the pandemic, do you think that that had any kind of impact yes. on graduation? How? I'd say more so on my whole academic mindset. That changed me personally. At When the pandemic hit, temporary hybrid and all that, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to college like everybody else. Me sitting inside my house just doing work on a laptop, it was just horrible. I found out in myself that I don't ever want to sit behind a desk doing no work. I want to work on my hands doing something I love. And hey, the building trees are for me, so that's what I want. So your name for me? Orviana Harkum. What grade are you graduating from? Eighth. Are you excited? Yes. What has the journey to graduation been like for you? nervous because it's like starting a new chapter and it's like I'm nervous and excited. Are you looking forward to going to high school? Yes. What do you think it's going to be like? Challenging and I know like there's going to be a lot of accountability towards me. What was it like during the pandemic because that was almost like the start of your middle school journey? Mm -hmm. It was hard because like getting up every day and then looking at a computer screen. That's not my normal school life. So it's like, I wouldn't really want to do it. Do you think that that affected your grades? No, because my grades all always been the same because it's like school played a big part in me 
What advice would you give somebody else who is transitioning from eighth grade into high school? Just have fun, but always be yourself, because it's like, you always got to be yourself no matter what, but you also want to have fun with it. So we have Raiz Stevenson, and then say your name for me. Andre Taylor. So Quadir and Raiz, what has the journey to graduation been like for you guys? It's really been rough. Like the first two years of high school, Mm-hmm. But so it's really easy. So okay. the first two years, it was COVID. And like, I don't think anybody did work for during COVID. So my grades were like really low. And so after COVID, 11th grade, it was really easy because I got to this new program. It was really amazing. How proud are you of this moment? I'm so proud because I didn't think I was going to graduate for some reason. Because if my grades weren't there, I'm just really proud of myself that I actually put myself back. What about you, Raiz? What has it been like for you? Basically, beginning of high school, it was kind of hard for me. I got sick with COVID myself beginning of high school, and it caused me to have summer school from 9th going into the 10th. And after that, it's just been a journey trying to get back on board with the regular like, school schedule, trying to make sure I'm on track for myself and not having others worry about me, but, you know, personal responsibility. A 12th grade year has been hard. I'm not one to love school, but I am one to work my hardest to get where I need to be. I was always taught to do what you need to do to get where you want to be, and obviously school is something I have to get through to get where I want to be. We wish you the absolute best, and we are excited to see what you're going to do after. Block by Block is produced by Felicia Kasher, Roxanne Logan, Robin Markle, Yannick Marie, Lara Rosenbach, and us. Kathy Brown and E. Marie Lambert. Yannick Marie is our board operator tonight. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM. Peter Liu is Radio Operations Manager. And Allison Durham is WPPM's Radio Program Manager. This is the final episode of Block by Block this spring, but we'll be back this fall with more stories from the Philadelphia area community reported by members of the community. You can find past episodes of the show on Philly Cam SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.